Welcome to the World Beyond the Tale, the Page a Day American Gods podcast. I'm your host, James, and today we're reading page 186. To the U.S., where his mother, now too sporadically sick to hold down a steady job, had moved from city to city, restlessly spending a year here or a year there, temping when she was well enough. They never spent long enough in any place for Shadow to make friends, to feel at home, to relax, and Shadow had been a small child. He had grown so fast. In the spring of his thirteenth year, the local kids had been picking on him, goading him into fights they knew they could not fail to win, and after which Shadow would run, angry and often weeping, to the boys' room to wash the mud or the blood from his face before anyone could see it. Then came summer, a long, magical thirteenth summer, which he spent keeping out of the way of the bigger kids, swimming in the local pool, reading library books at poolside. At the start of the summer, he could barely swim. By the end of August, he was swimming length after length in an easy crawl, diving from the high board, ripening to a deep brown from the sun in the water. In September, he had returned to school to discover that the boys who had made him miserable were small, soft things, no longer capable of upsetting him. The two who tried it were taught better manners, hard and fast and painfully, and Shadow found that he had redefined himself. He could no longer be a quiet kid doing his best to remain unobtrusively at the back of things. He was too big for that, too obvious. By the end of the year, he was on the swimming team and on the weightlifting team, and the coach was courting him for the triathlon team. He liked being big and strong. It gave him an identity. He'd been a shy, quiet, bookish kid, and that had been painful. Now he was a big, dumb guy, and nobody expected him to be able to do anything more than move a sofa into the next room on his own. Nobody until Laura, anyway. Mr. Ibis had prepared dinner, rice and boiled greens for himself and Mr. Jackal. I am not a meat eater, he explained, while Jackal gets all the meat he needs in the course of his work. Beside Shadow's place was a carton of chicken pieces from KFC and a bottle of beer. There was more chicken than Shadow could eat, and he shared the leftovers with the cat, removing the skin and crusty coating, then shredding the meat for her with his fingers. And that's our page. Shadow's mother got sick, so she and Shadow moved back to the United States. This is the same time he got to ride the carousel in San Francisco, which he flashed back to when riding the, the, <clears throat> when riding the carousel at the House on the Rock. From there, it seems he and his mother moved around, and as we already know, his mother died in Chicago when Shadow was 15. This page also gives us a, glimp in, a glimpse into Shadow's identity. As a child, he was bookish, quiet, and small, but puberty hit him like a freight train, and over one magical summer, he transformed from a small kid who liked to read into an athlete, a meathead who wasn't expected to do anything except play sports. Here again is a theme of the novel, and... A big theme in books overall, but most especially in Neil's works. Change and how much we are as people able to change in the end. In Stardust, both Tristran and Yvain have changed by the adventure they go on together. Richard himself has changed and never wear, as is Fat Charlie and Anansi Boys. I know this is a common trope in fiction, but I don't know that I've ever noticed it quite so much as it is in the narrative like it is in Neil's works. There's there's something more, it's more of a transformation than it is just a, a simple shifting of opinion or idea or other similar ideas. It's definitely a, a pretty upfront part of his novels and his characters. In Sandman, it applies to Morpheus, though in a different way, because he's not human. And in a way, we may also want to consider for the titular gods of this novel. In Sandman, the big question is, can Morpheus as the personified representation of humanity's ability to dream actually change? Is he able to 
to adjust himself and to recognize his own faults and foibles when his faults and foibles are those of the people that he exists to serve, in a manner of speaking. Like the gods in this book, Morpheus only exists because humanity as a whole needs him to exist, or even beyond humanity, consciousness as a whole needs him to exist. Similarly, are the gods here in the book able to change themselves? Are the gods like Wednesday and Nancy able to change all that much beyond their original counterparts? Certainly, they're a different part of of their original forms from whichever country they hail from, but they're not really that different in the end. They are American gods, certainly, but they are still gods, and if there's anything that we know about gods from Norse mythology, Greek mythology, or even Christian theology, gods don't change. Wednesday certainly seems to think that there is an ability to change, otherwise he wouldn't bother courting all the old gods in this war against the new gods. He's hoping that a desperate battle is going to spur change that hasn't happened in these gods who have occupied the country for hundreds, if not thousands, of years. Not to mention that the American gods themselves have some memory of their previous selves in the old country. So many of the deities have been working one way and one way only for so long that it would be difficult for them to change small or large adjustments in their brief lives. And how about Shadow? We know he projects a certain outward appearance. He's a big guy who works at a gym, or used to at least, and is good in a fight. The characters that see this outer appearance, though, are the ones that think they know him best. Laura is mentioned on the page as the one that recognized that Shadow wasn't just a big dumb guy, or at least that he had the potential to be more than just a big dumb guy. And Wednesday mentioned back when he and Shadow were headed for the House on the Rock that... Let me pause and look back at my note, because now my note doesn't make any sense. Flipping back, 75 pages. Got it. Okay, now it makes sense. And Wednesday himself was able to see beyond Shadow's outward appearance. On page 105, Shadow had constructed this tough ex-con weightlifter kind of appearance, even in his adult life. And Shadow or Wednesday, rather, comments that all these sorts of things are the least of which that he requires Shadow's help and service. And I think that Shadow, the character, hides behind this mask. And it comes down to names again. Shadow may be his birth name, or his Christian name, or his real name, but it's not his true name. And I think that's It started when he was 13, and he started developing muscles and grew and realized that he was able to fit in easier if he was just a big, dumb kid. And thus, he was blending in to the shadows. I guess that's a discussion for much later in the novel, really, but I think it's just important to remember that characters in this novel underestimate Shadow at their own danger, and that goes for us as well. If... We think as Shadow as just a muscly guy with no critical thinking skills. We're going to be surprised. And I'm not going to say that he doesn't do poorly thought out things from time to time. There's a moment coming up in 30 or so pages, but he's certainly smarter than he projects himself to be. Mr. Ibis serves himself rice and boiled greens, which is awfully close to the dish being served at the Zoria's dinner, as well as the one mentioned by Iceman back in prison. I don't think it's a connection, but there's a lot of, of rice and greens and things, and... 
I guess, I, I don't know. It's just weird to me that it keeps coming up. And another discussion that I don't know that I've ever considered before this reading, does Jackal get all the meat he needs in the course of his work? And if he does, as is suggested on the page, how many people die in Cairo? Is the Egyptian pantheon's presence something that causes more death than normal? The town's population is around 2,000 or so in Cairo right now, and I can't imagine there's enough death there to sustain his hunger, but I guess it's possible. Perhaps he only needs to eat once a week or once a month. It's not a desperate consideration of mine, but it's just something that never popped into my brain before. Get in touch with the show at theworldbeyondthetail at gmail.com and on Twitter at worldbeyondpod. You can support the show on Patreon at patreon.com slash worldbeyondpodcast. Thank you to Julian Granganage for his version of St. James Infirmary Blues, which we use as our theme. And thank you for listening. I'll be back tomorrow with another page, and remember, only the gods are real.